Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, Todd. How you doing, buddy? Good, Jeremy. How about you? Oh, I'm good. Good, good, good. We had a rough start to the week. Uh, some of our friends had some personal problems, but uh, we turned around, you know. Sometimes you have some bad news at the beginning of the week, and throughout the week, things just improve, and so that's where we're at. I'm feeling good right now. What you been up well, to? That's good, man. Um, yeah. Not bad news, but, you know, turning it around and by the end of the week. Yeah. You know, things are out of your control, and it's, uh, uh, we lost a family friend. Uh, used, you know, used to be close to them and stuff, but, you know, it's, it was a tragedy. You know, when tragedy hits, you just don't know what happens, but then you take a few days and realize that, you know what, there's literally nothing you can do about it. And I think the best thing to do is just remember the good times, you know? We had good times, we were close friends, and, you know, that's what you can do. And if you were ever in any kind of doubt, or having self-doubt about your own life, tragedy in someone else's life, or just bad luck, they stub their toe, can make you realize how lucky you really are and make mm-hmm. a turn in your own life. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you betcha. So I've, what have you been up to? It's just been a week. Um, yep. Not nearly at that level, but uh, got one of my wife's friends is in town visiting, staying with us. Uh they're headed over to, uh, like near Dollywood to do some oh, yeah. uh, touristy stuff for. Her. She wanted right. to take a, a Nashville tour of the celebrity homes for the country music singers. Yeah, but I'm like, okay. As far as Tennessee is concerned, you come at the end of the, you know, Wuhan sniffle stuff. In tourist season, without a reservation. Yeah, good luck with that. Ah, yeah. And so the closest, uh, soonest reservation I can find is three days after she leaves. So, oh, wow. I mean, you know, next time you come out, just, you know. Plan, plan ahead. Tell yeah. me a month before you're going to be here, and I'll make you reservations. But. Yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. Like, once things do, because, well... You know, if everything's, you know, it's funny though, interesting, like some things are probably like that, but I've heard Disney World and Disneyland are like, this is the best time to go because nobody's there. That's it's what a, I heard too, but yeah, they're, I, I heard one person that went with their group and oh my God, it's best time ever. And then I heard from a, you know, a couple other small families and they're like, oh, it sucks. So it's kind of like normal. Some people love it. Some people hate yeah. it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But there are people out there. I know this is going to sound crazy, but there are people out there that love crowds, that love being around people. Yeah. I think they're crazy, but whatever. That is. You know, I've been using the word cray-cray around my kids, and they, they get mad at me. <laughs> I'm trying to be cool. They're like, isn't that crazy? I'm like, oh, so cray-cray. And like, Dad, stop it. <laughs> But yeah, those nay, people nay. are cray-cray. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
You know, it's but, it's uh, true. Like my, I have a sister in law like that, and just us, like she gets energy from other people being around her, and you can tell, like. When she's at a wedding, she's just like, ah, almost uncontrollable. She's talking to every single person, just buzzing, right? Oh, when I'm in a situation like that, I'm like, it can, can I the find... open bar. Yeah, yeah. I'm rather like, okay, where's my one old buddy that I can just sit down with for at least an hour straight? Because that's all I want. You know, let's have one conversation. <laughs> you know, I don't need to talk to everyone, you know, casual wave. And, oh, yeah, hey, I remember you from a couple years ago. But it's not like we need to catch up. And, oh, man, I find people exhausting. At one of my niece's weddings, they're like, oh, you're not up mingling. Nope. Yeah. Oh, don't, you know, and she was being offhanded. She's like, oh, don't you like my friend? They're don't you people. like what? They're yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. like our people, niece. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. You know, no, no I, I don't like being around people. I don't like crowds. Um, you know, it's what life has done to me. You know, so it's there, your personality. It's your personality, I think. Like I'm an Oh introvert. no, I used to be a people person. I really did. Oh really? I used to be a mingler. Um, huh. but you know, the more the more you know, uh, yeah. the more people I was around, it was always the I'm gonna say the wrong type of people, but that was my job. Yeah, you've had exposure that most people haven't had. Yeah. And I just, you know uh and then you got a couple of death threats from people that actually carry them out. So mm. I don't like crowds. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's some people, you know, uh, like real cops that carried badges and guns. are like, oh, I got a death threat. No, you don't. You know, you had an angry person say something that they had no, they don't even know who you are anymore. Yeah, yeah. I got death threats for people to keep lists. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And have hackers on their side. Yeah. Um, No, but I had uh, like Christmas in... October this week on Tuesday. Oh, cool. You have turkey? Oh, no. I had uh, the mailman bring me three knives. Oh, yes. <laughs> right on. Yes, yeah, so how do you like them? I have two slivers that are just amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I still keep thinking, I mean, I got to make myself one of those. Just, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. It's crazy. And then kind of, I don't know I've got you, the heaviest little cleaver ever. Yeah, I want you. I got to put a picture of that up. I want to see that one. Either put it on your socials or text it to me. Ah. But you know the, um, the black handle with the white liner. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, the, the blade thing. on it. Yeah. Where the plunge line meets the spine. Yeah. Where it was rubbed a little. I didn't rub that. That just looks amazing. Do you know what's crazy? That came out of the acid like that. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. Riddle me this. How, why did that happen? Nobody can tell me. People are like, oh, you know, sometimes you'll get uh, a line in the steel that has a slightly different chemical makeup. And then I'm like, well, then why doesn't it carry through past the, the plunge line, the grind line? Isn't that strange? Like the flat took acid, the bevel took acid, but the in-between did not take acid. I'm going to say what my initial guess was. Yeah. It's in the steel itself from manufacturing. Because if, um, and I'm talking from the center of that billet outward, 
they would both be at the same layer mm-hmm. of steel. And maybe there's just a minor, such a minor difference in the makeup of the steel at that level or that layer, you know, yeah, a little bit less or a little bit more nickel or chromium or whatever is in this secret sauce. Because that could literally be like a thousandth of an inch underneath the the outer layer of the steel, yeah. right? Which would be the flat. That's true. That could be something like that. Like almost like the only like thing a, I can think of because, you know, they're both exactly the same, you know, so it looks that, cool as all yeah. good out. That would turn it into like a, a minute version of like a, a type of Sanmai, right? You got a, just a different makeup of steel there. And that I wonder if that hap could happen, like say uh, if the inside cooled differently than certain layers on the outside when they're making the steel. I don't know, it's cool. I wish, man, if if all, like if, actually I still have some more steel from that block. I should try another sliver and see if it does the same thing. That would be cool. Because both, actually both of those slivers were made from the same thing, so, but the one of them's just not, uh, not etched. But yeah, I know. Um, so kind of talking about this stuff. I've got a project I'm working on, like talking about steels. And this is this is a, a turn that I don't know if I ever saw coming. <laughs> and it happened yesterday. I really want to learn how to make Damascus steel. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I kind of saw it coming. <laughs> you and I, you know, we, we, we could be found kind of, I wouldn't say bashing, but lightly bashing. Damascus, and I don't, I don't take any of that back because I truly think the best performing knife would be a mono steel, because then you can do everything in the heat treatment to make the most out of that single cutting edge. As soon as you have it mixed, it's a compromise. It reminds me of tires on my dual sport bike. You know, I had smooth tires on, and they were way better on the highway, but they sucked on the gravel. But those were called the fifty-fifty, and all that means you're compromising in both areas. I put my dirt tires back on and it's just phenomenal. I can just rip on the gravel, right? Now, it does suck there, but I have all off-road and I'm choosing that. I'm giving up road performance. Still can go on the road, but it's miserable. It buzzes and vibrates, but I, you know what I mean? It's like one or the other. It, same thing, when you're, when you're going to take two different steels and put them together on a cutting edge, one of them is going to be compromised to the other. Although I know that's that. That's what I've always said. Yeah, although the heat treatments of, what is that they use? Uh, what's the most common combo? 15N20 and 1084? 1095. 1095. I guess from what I've heard, the, the heat treat recipe is very similar for those two steels. So I guess in that sense, you know, that combination brings it together a little bit more. But so what kind of got me excited about Damascus is that, you know, I need to come up for a, a video with for my sponsor, Princess Auto. And something I've wanted to do for a long time was build a forge press and a really good one. But, I mean, that's that's a several thousand dollar project, right? By the time you buy a hydraulic ram, a bunch of I-beam, hydraulic pump, motor, reservoir, yada, yada. So <laughs> let's see, first of all, if I'm actually going to enjoy making Damascus, which I think I will. More interesting I, I would be uh, Sanmai to me. I think that would actually be more challenging 
but that's that's what I care about more. I mean, Damascus looks nice and all, but I love the idea of having a nice soft cladding on a really hard core, you know. But um, I'm going to take a log splitter, a cheap five-ton log splitter, and turn it into a forge press. Does that sound good? Uh, that was, was one of my uh, fondest YouTube memories is watching uh, Big Dog Forge do his. Okay. And then we do this years later, but I found this one guy. So th this one guy, I think he's New Brunswick or he's Eastern Canada for sure. By the way, he talks, and um, he took the four ton. <laughs> what's that? Eastern Canada? Does he talk with a lisp? No, 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 not all of them are like that. <laughs> talk like this, there, you boys, eh? You old squid squeezers and cod coddlers, herring hoggers, <laughs> lobster lovers, kind of, kind of like that, but um. And so he took the four-ton press from Princess Auto, and and I'm like, okay, so you, when you buy, like, a small forging press, the small ones generally start at 12 tons. Like, I know there's a company called Iron Coal that makes them, and Noah Vachon got one, and his is a 12-ton, and it's a small, like, uh, you know, benchtop-type model. And I'm like, you know, 12 tons of force is a lot, but so is five. And I just kind of want, so I found this video... And he's got the four ton and he totally makes up Damascus. I'm like, sweet. And when the steel's hot, like I did so I did some tried to do some research to find out how much force is applied by hand with a hammer, right? Because you can totally make your own Damascus by hand. It just takes a long time. And so well, they figured that, you know, the average hammer blow, I think it had it Newton's, I think is about five hundred pounds on average. Now obviously if you're using a bigger hammer and hitting it faster and harder. You can generate maybe up to 1,000, 1,500 pounds of force for a second, split second, right? But then you think if you've got five tons, you've got 5,000 pounds of force, and you can hold it there for a few seconds or even keep applying it, right? Like while well, it's it steel's moving and it comes to a point where it takes more than that to move it any further and then, you know... But uh, with this four-ton man, he's, he got it nice and hot and he could just squish this stuff up. And I'm actually going to leave this one horizontal because obviously it's a, a log, a little electric log splitter for 399 bucks, right? That's Canadian pesos, so it's probably like 250 American. But the thing I like about having a horizontal is that, you know, most forging presses that you see, the ram is vertical. But the thing is, you have to kind of come into the side and see how much you're squishing it. And to me, that doesn't make sense. Like if you think about, it, I understand maybe it's for getting slag out of the way, but if if you're just using it in a horizontal, so your ram's horizontal, I'm standing over top of the steel and in a natural position, I can see how much is being squished and where I'm squishing. So, uh, cause I was thinking, okay, how am I gonna flip this thing upside down? I'm like, wait, why would I? Because this seems like a more natural way to work. But I haven't I haven't started, I literally just unboxed it and I, I split a log and I'm like, this thing is so cool. <laughs> I like this thing. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm going to be working on that uh, today and then into next week and stuff. And then hopefully for a video coming out next weekend, I'll have made some Damascus. We'll see. I I, I say that like you just go out and do it. I'm sure there's going to be so many roadblocks. But... but yeah, and then it'd be kind of fun to make Damascus steel. To make my own Damascus steel would be pretty neat. You know? Yeah, and I agree that uh, sand mine is the way to go. But... Yeah. I then... I you can get the kind of look of uh, uh, pattern welded steel, but with a monolithic core mm -hmm. performance, and then you heat treat for the core, not for the 
jacketing. Exactly. Uh, my my thing with that is uh, like so. Tip, when you I've been watching a lot of people make Damascus on YouTube the last few days, but when you see them, I mean, you you stack up your layers, weld them, you know, make sure they're clean, blah blah blah, flux them, borax, whatever you do, and and they really squish them down a lot, and and sometimes I wonder like. If you're doing San Mai, unless you started with thicker bars, but, you know, if I were to just buy steel blanks and make a San Mai, I'm not going to be squishing, I'm not going to be reducing the thickness of those three pieces by a whole lot. And I'm wondering if it's going to be harder to get a good weld with less squishing it, if you know what I'm saying. Or maybe yeah, you have to start out with thicker things. And I imagine you just need... Thicker than what you're going to wind up with, what you need to wind up with, as long as it's that, because, you know, you lose it during the forging and, you know, through scaling, and then mm -hmm. you got to grind. But uh, what I was thinking is, what if you made Damascus, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And what's your favorite core steel? Um, CRV something, something? I've never done any CRV stuff. I'm just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, whatever your favorite core steel is, let's say. Oh, one tool steel? <laughs> no, I mean, let's just say that. Yeah, then. yeah. You make Damascus, right? And then yes. you make, you've forged that out into a thin billet, and then you use that as the outer sand mylar. Yes. So it looks like be... Damascus, but you have a monolithic core. That would be gorgeous. Hey, there, there's the idea. Yeah. No, I love that idea. Love that. And then, uh, like, so and they... Instead of I, Damascus, we can call it um, Can-Am Soup. Can-Am soup Ascus. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> if we had an editor, that'd go, beep. Um, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um I've seen knives like that, like at uh, Knifeware, the store in Calgary and other cities and stuff where they import all these Japanese knives. The really high-end ones will have Damascus cladding on a mono steel core. That That's a great idea. See, the, the one thing I was thinking, like, so if you took, a, say, you've got a quarter inch of everything. So I've got a quarter inch thick piece of stainless, quarter inch core, and then quarter inch stainless. I would think that by the time I reduce that to a blade thickness, like maybe a quarter of inch, like I don't know if that's enough to get a good weld on it. But if you had, you if you made your own Damascus for the outer billets, you could leave those at like three eighths, right? And then put a, a quarter inch core. And then by the time you draw all that out, you know, hopefully you'd have, you'd have enough for a couple of blades and you'd, you'd be at a more appropriate um, thickness, you know? Yeah. And what I'd, what I'd like to do is make the die that has, like, on the bottom, because I'm only making this for uh, knife blanks. Like, that's that's it. And so if you had, like, a bottom two inches, I might need more than that, but they were kind of the flat dies, and then the top two inches were kind of rounded for drawing out, right, for pinching everything out, and then just make little tabs that could flip down so that you could, you could push to a, a fixed thickness so if you're making a, a bar of sand mai for steel you could flip these tabs down and it'd space a quarter inch and obviously it'd have to be fairly robust but it'd be cool if you could just come down until you hit the quarter inch and you would end up with a very consistent thickness bar of steel you know 
I know I'm really, uh, the, the gears are just been turning in my head the last few days. And I'm really excited about trying to make some, my own steel. And even for drawing out things like, like Steph has quite a few projects, blacksmithing projects, different outdoor basket hangers that she'd like. And there's one that we want to do for our back porch. We want to start it with one inch square um, steel, right? And then kind of taper it out and put a, like a shepherd's hook almost on it. But man, can you imagine trying to draw out one inch steel <laughs> like that? That would be exhausting by hand. And uh, now that I've got a long forge, and if I have this press, you know, steel draws out nicely. Just mild steel, that's so easy to move. I'm, I'm sure this thing would have no problems. It would just make quick work out of it and clean it all up by hand, you know. But it'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. All of a sudden, just like my, my interest in blacksmithing has just been peaked to levels it's never been before. Levels I thought I would never see. I thought naturally I always felt kind of weird. Like, man, I haven't progressed to blacksmithing. Why not? I just like making knives, you know, <laughs> like, but man, I'm kind of, kind of making well, a little I mean, shift there are a lot here. of people out there that use blacksmithing, pattern welding, making their own damascus just to make the billet <clears throat> so then they can stock remove the knives. Mm -hmm. So they're not forging anything into a knife shape. You know, they're yeah. just making rectangular billets or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Fine. You know. Yep. Uh, and some of the best looking Damascus knives I've seen, that's how they're done. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to be very skilled to forge out. Like, if you have San Mai, like I've seen San Mai that's been forged to shape, you get that interesting pattern. Like, you can tell where the steel has been moved. I tried that once, man, and it was so far off. My center core was, oh, it was, I couldn't put a straight edge on it and keep the core on the edge. So, and I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I would definitely not be there. I think it takes phenomenal skill to to forge out nice looking Damascus blades and do little grinding on them. I'm sitting here looking at one of those coal ironworks forges. Yeah. 25 tons. Yeah. $7,200. Yeah. They seem like good guys. Like I, you know, I, I think they're a cool company and I, I would love to be able to just buy one. But, um, the other thing is, is that, I mean, I'm a millwright by trade, <laughs> you know, the, the last five years that I was employed by a company, I did hydraulic systems, <laughs> you know what I mean? So kind of like, you know what, this, yeah, uh, for two grand, I could build my own and I literally know everything that I need. Like I, I can go up right now and I know what parts to buy. I know what fittings, what pressure ratings. And I know it's like, I'd be kind of crazy or just lazy to buy one. But I thought if I, you know, start farting around with a little one, see if I enjoy making my own Damascus. And if it's something that's like, okay, this is cool. Now I want to get serious about it. Might, might turn into that. Then I would, you know, still talking with Princess Otto. This will actually be the last video in this contract. And then we can talk again, but who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, they'd sponsor a full build like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure they would. Yeah. I would like to do it. So, so the right now, I guess this is just YouTube stuff, but right now I have a contract where I have to do one video a month and then I get a certain amount of money in gift cards to buy materials or tools or things to make that video. And then I actually get a, a paycheck. So I send them an invoice and then they send money into my bank account. Um, but it's hard 
sometimes to do like I got some weak performing videos because of the fact that I just had to get a video done. And so what I would love to do rather is set up a fee that's like, okay, and I could come up with a pretty accurate fee. Like every video will cost you exactly this much money. It doesn't matter if it takes me three weeks to do the project, but the the relationship I would love to see, and I'm hoping we can talk about this is that I have a fee for a video and then they cover all the expenses. So like if I want to build a hydraulic uh, forging press, I will literally just, you know, type an email up of all the parts I want from their catalog, send it to them. They'll they'll pick them, and then I go to their lo- the local store, pick them up. Done. Right? And that is so much cheaper for these companies to do that. Yeah. Well, um, and the w- there's a uh, blah blah blah. One of my I won't say who because I may be wrong, but one of the smaller channels I watch, I think that's exactly what his uh, contract is with the a tool company and Home Depot in mm. in partnership. Yep. Uh, that, you know, Home Depot will provide the materials, the tool company, the tools, and that f- he builds the project and then gets a uh, uh, cooperative paycheck to, mm-hmm. you know, from those yeah. two companies. Yeah. And you think about it. So the way that I work uh, with my sponsor is that they give me gift cards and it's a, a fixed amount per month, which is fine. But then I go and I take that gift card and pay retail prices, right? So for you know, for them giving me X dollar value per month, I get a smaller amount of tools. Whereas if I just said, hey, you know what, tell us what you want and we're just gonna give you at our cost, because that's what it ultimately it's kind of a weird thing, right? So like I could showcase more product of theirs if I could just get it given to me, even if it's like you get this much per month, right? And we're not going to say show you the retail prices, but we'll let you know if you can do it or if you're over. I don't know. It just, it seems like it doesn't make sense doing it this way, but it's also logistically, this is so easy because they literally just FedEx me these gift cards. Last time they sent it in the mail and I thought that was risky, <laughs> like a couple thousand dollars worth of gift cards that don't need to be activated. <laughs> they just mail them to me. I'm like, Okay, cool. They don't they don't follow up. Did you get your gift card? They just send them. <laughs> and that's it. I've gotten all of them, but I uh I had the same feelings about something that happened to us a while back um when we sold a house. Yeah. And they mailed me a check instead of putting it in the bank. This is before, you know, they did that sort of thing. Yeah. And like I'm not comfortable with this. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I got it, but yeah. Um, still. Or, or like grandparents that still mail cash to their grandkids. <laughs> but, but oh God, I mailed somebody cash because they said I owed it to them. Yeah. And I found the most flimsy see-through envelope I could. <laughs> yeah. I put the cash in it, not wrapped in anything. You can see it's just a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah through the envelope and took a picture of it, sent it to them. All right. You can see I put it in the mail. Here you go. They got it. Really? Like, Darn it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> the one time yeah. you want somebody to steal the mail. Yeah. That's funny. But I sent you a picture. So of uh cleaver. Oh, okay, cool. 
And I wanted to comment that the spine in the handle of this cleaver mm-hmm. is almost exactly, it's a tiny bit over double the spine in the handle of the slivers. Oh, wow. And you've always commented, you know, how thick it is in the sliver. I'm like, um, yeah, this is just. That's a nice looking blade. That's cool. And for size comparison, it's the same length as the sliver. Okay. Oh, wow. So, so it's, it's not a tiny little cleaver. No. It's not huge, but you can uh, you can definitely help skin something with it. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Nice looking blade. It is. And this is... <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and... I've, I have debated um, saying this. And should I? Should I not? Um, should I go directly to him? There's nothing wrong with it because people are people, right? We all have memories that we're reliant on, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's nothing personal. But since I've known of Black Rock knives, mm-hmm. I have tried to get him to make this exact cleaver. Hmm. Exact cleaver. Just a different um, scales, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted mine uh, in a type of red scale. Anyway, um, and, you know, he's put it off, put it off, forgot, and then I forgot, and then he puts this up for auction. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, he's – and and I this is why I think is nothing personal because he hosed himself on the price because I offered to pay him X number of dollars, which would have been – considerably more than the what this went for for auction so hmm. and it went for more than it's worth at auction but you know hey yeah um, when, when, i was willing to help him with whatever because what he's going through so whatever. yeah how's, how's he doing by the way he's oh man that dude is rocking some rehab because hmm. what did he was a cancer stroke stroke yeah and when he started making knives again he had to do chisel grind because he couldn't go the other way. Oh, um, wow. Wow. And now he's getting, uh, working that side more and more. Uh, hmm. They're still not equal, but, you know, he can use it. And I think if you, I've known a couple of people that had strokes. Uh, one about as young as Ken, maybe younger. And Ken's rehab is so far above uh, what they did. I mean, his his driving determination is off the chart. Hmm. And he's a Christian and good guy. Yeah. Looks scary as all get out, him and his brother, but huh. really great people. So what's his, uh, do you have his Instagram handle just uh, just for people listening so we can, they're wondering who we're talking about? Ken Rock Knives or what? Black Rock Knives. It's uh, Black Rock Knives. No K in the black, but, uh, okay. or the rock, but. Let me open my phone because he has several. Yeah, because uh, we don't do show, show notes. As <laughs> as told Steph, I was like, we literally it's it's the name of the episode, and the kids are like, is that what you decided to talk about before? I said, no, we just talk. We have no agenda. Like we don't don't have a subject in mind. And then I usually try and sit there and listen to some of the things that we talked about and figure something that could be a title, and then. 
So there's a title, and the description is just a conversation between two yep. friends. Uh, it's cheap. black underscore rock underscore knives. The black is B-L-A-K, B-L-A-C-K. Rock is just R-O-C, and then knives is knives. Uh, there you go. And he also has a backup page, Black Rock Steel. Hmm. So steel instead of knives. And it's all separated by underscore, but uh, cool beans. It's amazing. Uh, his uh, and the rock comes from the texture he puts on his knives. He do. Um, it's so funny because um, he had somebody, you know, Instagram internet haters say, "Oh, you only do that because you can't grind, you know, a polished finish." He's like, "Really?" And then he showed the process of his knives because, you know, they're water jet cut out of a sheet hmm. of steel. And then he uh, stock removes, right, using a grinder or a series of grinders. And he gets them to an amazing high polish finish, mirror finish. And then he does the rock finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, you got to go forward before you go back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your comments show you have no understanding of the process. Exactly. That's all internet haters do. It's like, ah, that's so stupid. There's a uh, YouTube channel I watch. He's considering deleting his channel because of haters. I'm like, no. Which one's this? Do uh, you like saying? Now, there's more to the story, and he has a hour and a half video from yesterday that explains it. But oh, well. It's the Torque Chest Torque Test Channel. Hmm. They do, you know, ugga dugga testing between um, drills, drivers, and impact wrenches. Oh, I think I've seen it the channel before. It is awesome, right? Yeah. And they show the whole process, <clears throat> and there's no shenanigans. Well, he just got hired by a tool manufacturer, oh, Astro wow. Tools, and he's like, you know, so here are my options as I see them. I'm going to let you guys pick, and I'm like. You've had an an incredibly transparent channel since day one. You do not take any free tools or sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. If you've explained to your new employer, and he has, and the president of Astro Tools is one of those rare people that are like, yeah, test however you want. Tell the truth. We know what we make, you know? Yeah. So whatever you put on your little channel not going to bother me. And he says that to some huge channels, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, dude, you know, you've been incredibly transparent since day one. Just keep being you. Yeah. And if Astro doesn't have any problems with it, either quit testing Astro tools or keep doing it and just don't change a thing with your channel. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Or start taking non-tool sponsorships like NordVPN and all that and to make some more money for your family. Yeah. yeah. Ain't got no problem with that either. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, hey? I, um... Yeah, the whole YouTube thing is just nuts. Um, I don't know if I mentioned to you that I found a radio-controlled studio or a radio-controlled car YouTube channel near me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, <clears throat> the other day I was coming back from Calgary, and 
now I got my gravel shoes on that dirt bike, my motorbike. I call it a dirt bike now, but um, so I'm all gravel, and I, I know where this place is now. And so I was driving by, and they're out there making a YouTube video. I'm like, that's pretty cool. They got these big dirt tracks, and then they've got this. It's like where announcers would sit at a rodeo or something, right? There's a real high platform. They got like flags of their YouTube channel and stuff. And I don't know if they do filming up there or like that's where they do these things. But it was so cool. I was like driving by and I could see them out there with the camera. I'm like, that's cool. I just want to go say hi to them. <laughs> it's like, I'm a little YouTuber too. <laughs> yeah. I think they got like 3 million subs or something like that. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, that's... Uh... It's hard to wrap your head around, at least for me, how some of the YouTube channels have so many subscribers. Yeah. You're like the number one kid YouTuber just <laughs> unboxes toys. I know. I know. And I used to live near him, but anyway. Huh. Uh, and his only worry for the rest of his life is how he's going to spend his millions. Yeah. Yeah. Unless his parents steal it. You yeah. Know, hashtag Brittany. Yeah. Yeah. Is, you know is, what? What's that? I don't think you could be creepier, a creepier father than Britney Spears' dad if you set out to try. Yeah. There's, I don't. There's something there that I don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to YouTube. Hey, so, okay, this is something that I want to build so bad. Uh, did you see Demolition Ranch Railgun video? Yeah. Do you want one of those? Well, yeah. I have to have one. <laughs> those are just the like for for you think about like for home defense. <laughs> I don't like, want one to to do what like he was doing. Yeah. I don't want one to keep stock. I want one to turn up a notch or yeah. eleven. Yeah. Oh, those things are cool, aren't they? Oh, yes, uh, they are. Um, I yeah. wanna, I want to uh, find a way to uh, super cool it with uh, liquid nitrogen. Yeah, you know, in the superconductive coil that goes around. Yeah, uh, and then turn that thing up as far as. You know, my knowledge level would allow. Yeah. That's just amazing. It's just amazing. I have an, um, uh, you know those jump starter packs you can buy for vehicles? Mm -hmm. I have one that's non-standard. It's, uh, it's the same thing as a battery pack you'd get for your phone or an emergency battery pack. Mm -hmm. But now think of it on the level of a uh uh, 24 volt jump starter. Hmm. I have one of those, and I'm thinking, well, that was the first thing I thought of uh, when I saw that railgun of Matt's. I was like, I have a battery for that. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard of the YouTube channel, The Hacksmith? Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, so it's um, a Canadian channel, big. He has several videos where he's built several railguns. And I haven't gotten around to watching them yet. And, you know, as long as it's under 500 feet per second, uh, technically in, in Canada, I think it would not be classified as a weapon. And There's so, one of those backyard science channels that isn't the big one. Okay. 
he's not a backyard scientist, but it's a scientist that does YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. And he built one, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago that the ATF went and took from him. Mm. And because it was just obnoxiously destructive. Yeah. They're like, oh, you built a gun. And it doesn't meet the gun definition under the law, any law. Hmm. And they just came and took it because they're the government. Yeah. And I think he was clocking this thing with, uh, he was shooting uh, like 3 H diameter stainless steel ball bearings. At like six thousand feet per second. Oh wow, <laughs> that's crazy. And he could shoot. Um, oh God, how many was it? He had a hopper on this thing that held like uh, a couple hundred of them. And the kid that he always had with him was like, "Oh, how many can it shoot per second? All of them." Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So, but his problem was overheating as well. Yeah. So I guess for anyone listening who doesn't know what a railgun is, uh, in, in theory, the projectile needs to be conductive metal, right? And then what is it? Is it just two rods along the side of the barrel, and then they wrap the electric coils around the rods, and that creates, like, as the electricity goes down it, it pushes the or steel? Or a series of electromagnets. Yeah. Um, but all it does is you have... Zero friction mm-hmm. on the projectile, and it just rides on a cushion of a you know electromagnetism. Yeah, and the and accelerant is sh- basically the speed of electricity. Not no, that can't be. No, so, it can be faster because depending on the amps yes. and temperature and all that. But yeah, I mean, there's a a calculation and a you can do on it, but. The colder you can get it, and the more energy you can put into it, the faster you can oh, push something, okay. in theory. In theory. That's interesting. And it's also the more surface area. That's why this gun uses washers instead of balls. Yeah. yeah. And that's interesting because so I didn't know why they had a temperature readout on this one of mats, but that makes sense now. Yeah. But you might want to know that information. And it, they... They get incredibly hot because of the amount of yeah uh, juice pixies that they flow yeah um so see in in Canada firearms classified as anything that can throw a projectile over five hundred feet per so they do a good job of wording it so that they can control everything and that's why airsoft guns are going away because some of them are faster and also the the one test is that it has to be able to penetrate a human eyeball. And so they've got, you know, whatever it is, they've got these created uh, synthetic things. And if you shoot something at it and it can go into it, that's considered a firearm in Canada. doesn't matter how it's propelled, anything. But what I was thinking would be cool, because I would like to do this for YouTube to learn how to make one of these, is take a Nerf gun, modify it, and then just put like a little ball bearing inside of the Nerf dart. Keep it so it's not too fast because, I mean, if I make it, it goes like 200 feet per second. I, I can, It's legal, right? Like it doesn't matter what it is. Um, I thought that would be really cool just to learn how it works. 
And then what you do from there, obviously, you, you may or may not share it. But, um, oh, I think that'd be so fast. I just want to, I think the concept of it, it's silent. Like, all you hear is a, you know, all oh, the coolest ideas. I would say if anybody's never watched that, just go watch. And even if you don't like Demolition Ranch or whatever, if you don't like guns, that doesn't really matter. This is a cool thing. Like, it shoots little tiny mini hockey pucks, you know, maybe the size of, like, Crocono discs, but steel. And like, oh, so cool. That's a cool video. The rail gun video by Demolition Ranch. I knew a guy who made a hockey puck gun for home defense. He was a teacher at State, and he had this thing. He actually had, he actually ran compressed airline up under his bed, and he kept this under his bed, and he could stick a hockey puck through plywood. <laughs> Can you imagine breaking somebody's house and getting shot with a hockey puck? That's what you call man-stopping power. Oh, be brutal. He also made a Gatling gun, machined everything himself, a twenty-two long rifle Gatling gun. It was so cool. That was crazy. He was a really, really good machinist, but had a lot of time on his hands. He made some cool stuff. Yeah, I think railgun would be pretty neat. Oh, I was gonna actually I was thinking uh yesterday. I had a channel that I thought, I was watching, I thought, oh, I wonder if Todd would enjoy this. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, have you ever heard of Ron Colville? Yeah. Okay, cool. I just, I don't know why, I think I just found his channel yesterday. He's got some neat videos, actually. Yeah, I've been watching him since he did the collaboration with this old Tony. Oh, yes. Dustpan. Yeah, I, I heard about that at the time when it came out, but I never yeah, watched either of them. we talked about it briefly. Yeah. You're right. There you go. So that's funny. Yeah, no, he's that dude he's, is. Uh, he's got some black magic when it comes to forming aluminum. Good lord. Yeah. You're like what a skilled craftsman. It's amazing. You look at the car he built that yeah. way. Oh yeah. my. I know, and I just watched like like I, I just it came up as recommended how to heavy metal cones. How he makes cone shapes out of one eighth inch thick steel. And just the way he explains it, very professionally, you know, almost like shot in a lab video. It's not vlog style at all. It's like, I'm doing this and this and this. And I'm like, this guy's smart. He's a smart cookie, you know. He's the guy that I wish I could go apprentice under. Like, hey, can I just come sweep your floors for like 10 years, please? Man, he's a smart guy. Cool old dude. That stuff's all being lost. And the way he has that Bob Ross uh, mm-hmm. way of speaking and talking. And oh wait, speaking and talking. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, no. But he's right. He's just like. And the next problem I had was this, so I decided I would drill two holes here and bolt the sheet down like this. <laughs> and it's like, it's an awesome idea, man. This is fun. I don't know. He's, he's a cool, dude. It's funny because if if you were to show me a picture of him. And just say, this guy's got a good YouTube channel. I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, don't think so. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't know what YouTube is. But you can see his background. I could see him more as a guy that he's, hey, I've got a DVD instructional set, you know. Yeah. But, which I'm sure he's done. But, yeah, no, he's a cool dude. Gets me excited about making things. Seeing guys like him, it kind of reinfigures. You know, when you watch some of these, well, uh, this might sound harsh to people, but when you watch some of these young people, 
that just kind of start getting into making and it's like, okay, we're making furniture with pocket holes and plywood and Ryobi tools and stuff. That doesn't do anything for me because there's nothing there to learn really. Like everything that they do, it's like, yeah, if, if I needed to build one of those, I'd, I'd go build it. But then you look at this guy and like he's doing forming and stuff that I'm like, oh, wow, how do you do that? Like I'm, I'm interested now. You know, this is, I've got a certain base level of knowledge and skills when it comes to building stuff and making things. And so many popular YouTube videos are at that level, right? And it's it's like, okay, this is boring now. You see these guys that are like old world craftsmen and, and older people that have had like more experience on the tools than I've been alive. And those are the people that I think are worth watching. Some crazy good stuff out there. I saw a, a YouTube maker at a crafts fair. And he builds furniture. Allegedly builds alleged furniture. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys, you know, plywoods and pocket holes. Mm-hmm. And he's like telling all about this table. And I just dead stare at him, right? You know, deadpan mm-hmm. stare. <laughs> Oh, all my years nice. a wonderful table. Blah, blah, you know, he started trying to get me to buy it. And I'm like, if I wanted a table, I would build a real table the real way. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, um, I mean exactly what it said. You're a hack. You build hack stuff. So. That's funny. That's funny. You know one thing I've always wanted to do, and I pursued it a little tiny bit, but I, I really want to get into it more. Um, metal shaping, forming like with you know curvatures. Like I, I built a gas tank once for a motorcycle, and it turned out great. And I think I have a couple pictures of it, like the, the film photographs I took. Um, but I really, and I never had an English wheel. But I'm like, man, I and now I mean I can go to Princess Auto and buy an English wheel. They're cheap. You know, and I've actually have uh, you know, those leather shot bags that they use for a lot of freeform shaping. Yeah. Uh, one, my wife's uncle passed away. Um, there's a bunch of tools that his wife had asked if we wanted to buy, and this was one of the things that I bought. I bought a lot of his bodywork because he he had a hobby. He would take old cars and he'd cut the hoods off them, he'd just go to the wrecker and go get a hood, grind the paint off, and then sculpt things. He would make life-size like magpies and crows and they're very realistic like if you had an artist come in and paint them they would be perfect right like the portions were amazing the beaks and he would do like old grain elevators outhouses Uh, I have a car in my garage that he did like an old supposed to look like a model t ford and um all kinds of stuff but everything had to be he was always a hot rod builder but everything had to be from a hood of a car and he would never just go buy steel you know, it'd be so much easier on him. But, um, yeah. And so I had, I got this from him and, oh, I want to, I want to get into it now. And I want to, I want it to be a hobby that I would never try to film because it seems every time I get into something and it's like, okay, let's make videos about it. And it's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's so easy when you always want to try to be a YouTuber, which I mean, I'm I'm not going to say I don't, I mean, I obviously want to try and be a YouTuber, but it's so easy to take every single thing you might be interested in and try, okay, let's turn this into a video series or let's do a video on this. And it's kind of like, then you go out like to do doing it. doing like, something that you love for a business sucks the fun right out of it. Yes. Yes. Like knife making to me, 
I wouldn't say it's not a passion because I still really care about it. And when I'm doing it, like, I'm interested, but, but it is a job, right? Like, it is a job. I am going to work. And before, it was like my hobby, right? I'd go outside and any free moment I had, it's like, oh, I'm going to go make some knives in my free time. It's not like that now. You know what I mean? And making knives for myself, I don't do that anymore because I make so many knives for customers. Why would I want to spend more time making a knife if I'm not getting paid, right? This, it's literally become a means to an end. And that's fine. It's a pretty rad if you can actually choose a job like that. Um, you know, it's the same thing with working on, on bicycles. To me, that is, um, I don't know about meditative, but kind of. It's like one of those things you can do. And I, I like working on bicycles more than I like riding bicycles. And I do really like riding bicycles. Um, and so every time I'm wrenching on a bicycle, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make a video about this. But it's like, why, why, you know, it's, it's not going to get a lot of views. You know, <laughs> the most you probably come out ahead five bucks if it popped, <laughs> you know, so why don't you just keep this for yourself? So I think I might start to get into metal shaping and forming just for fun. Like, I just want to learn that stuff, you know, and I have no desire to build or maybe I'd end up doing a gas tank for a motorbike because I got a motorbike project sitting in the sea can but it's not like I want to learn how to build fenders for people's cars right or anything like that airplane project sitting in your sea can ah now we're talking (laughs) boy that's true (laughs) you know that'd actually be a great way to get the boys into it too because I'd be like hey Uh that's what I said they're they're trucks if they were still going to build them and that airplane um the awesome uh a YouTube series, and even if it's not for YouTube, for yeah. them later and their families. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I might have to talk to them about that. Be kind of cool. But it's fun, man. It's it's fun. You know, you you ever go through slumps where you're not inspired to make stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I I, I was in that for a long time. So. Yeah. And and finding this Ron Koval's channel, thinking about a railgun, and then buying this log splitter and thinking about making Damascus, it's I've just come out of a slump that I've been in for a long time. I'm like, oh man, I'm stoked. You know, railgun would be a lot of engineering that I don't understand. Like electricity and stuff, nope. I understand the basics. You know, I've been zapped a few times and I think I know why. <laughs> but that's that's where it is. That's where I'm at. Um but I don't know, and maybe that's what's exciting about it, is that it's new, right? It's not like, hey, let's learn how to make a knife, you know. But what do you got? Say, say, if, say if I had to pick something for you, something, uh, a skill that you don't have that you would love to have anything on earth, even crocheting, what would yours be right now? Blacksmithing. Yeah. Uh, right now, or is it is it physically too difficult for you? Probably. Yeah. Or I could do what the one guy does down in down near Chattanooga, who's cripple literally. Um, he actually made himself a stool, a chair. Uh, at so he would sit at the height, and he would stand at if he was able to stand mm-hmm. and it tips forward a little straps his thighs in and just dude's got Popeye arms. Oh wow. And when I saw him do it, I'm like, well, there goes that excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what so, would you like, what part of blacksmithing draws you? Is it like ornamental ironwork or 
like weaponry or oh, what is it? It's another way to fabricate and build stuff. It's another skill. Yeah. So you don't have to just use it to make a horseshoe or a knife. You can, you know, make yard art or put that along. You know, you build a frame and then make a tabletop or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know one of the one of the most, and this is a good way, right? Because he was working for the good guys uh, against terrorists. But one of the most effective uh, guys at convincing bad guys to talk, mm-hmm. um, it you know, built up a lot of stress in him uh, doing that to people, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I, we never knew what he did for a, a hobby. Yeah. All right. Then, and he was older. And uh, we found out he's a, he taught himself art and metal fab, and he built an exact replica of the Venus de Milo out of copper sheeting uh, and cold riveting. It, hmm. just, um, it looks just like the Venus de Milo, same size, but in copper, and it's beautiful. Hmm. That's and cool. And it's in his front yard, you know. Hmm. That's cool. And he's like, yeah, that's how I say it's sane, you know? Yeah. That's like, crazy. And you put the curves in all the right places. Yeah. Um, yeah. Copper Although he said he you. couldn't bring himself to not finish the arm. Oh, yeah. He just hasn't ever put it on. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. That'd be cool. You know, I just want it's another skill I want to learn because I love making stuff mm-hmm. uh, from nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I have a vision of some things I'd like to build, uh, like creating a new kind of style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have all these, you know, drawings in my mind. Yeah. And they'd be on paper, but I can't draw. Um, I can draw in my head, but I can't. My hand doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just don't have that skill. Uh, otherwise, I'd have channel art for my YouTube. I'd have a <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a logo and all that. But anyway, yeah. Um, but you know, I have all that stuff in my head that I want to put into practice. I want to make it. Yeah, yeah. It's like the all the tables in my living room I built from scratch. Um, and a bunch of other stuff in my house. This table right here next to my desk uh, that the roadcaster is on, hmm. I built from scrap wood that uh, I was buying lumber from a guy in, down in Florida that cut his own trees and made his own lumber, dried it. And he's like, oh, I have some extra magnolia wood and uh, wild cherry. They don't, it's a non-fruit-bearing cherry. Uh yeah, they're just over there. They're all twisted up if you want them. Hmm. And I could tell by looking at the boards, there was enough straight wood inside that twisted up mess. Mm-hmm. It would just take a lot of work. And so I built this. Yep. Free wood. Yeah. That's cool. There's something about figuring that out and then it's like, oh, cool. I, I did this. I think a cool thing with blacksmithing would be learning how to rivet well 
You know, like when yes. I think about a riveted joint, I'm like, that is amazing. And so blink and strong when they're done correctly, you know? And then it's like, okay, I would love to, so you get that figured out. Then, then you forge out a handle of something and then get into copper. Like we were talking about copper, like guys that make their own copper pots, like copper throwing. I'm like, man, it'd be neat to have the time and, and make some tweaks and modifications to my metal lathe and set it up so I can spin my own copper pots and then rivet the handle on. I'm like, oh, literally all that stuff is within my reach. I just have to figure out like how or, or a time, you know? Oh, that'd be so fun. Well, here's some live breaking news. Um, instead of being a tourist with her friend, my wife had to go to a car wash and spray the front of our Sequoia as a semi sprayed gasoline all over it. Seriously. Yeah. Was it just driving down the highway leaking or? Yeah. Oh my word, that sucks. That's freaking dangerous too. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody throws I want to go find him with a match is what yeah. I want to do, but. Yeah. Wow. That's a Friday. Hey, the guy goes to work on Friday. He's like, oh, weekend's almost here. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, the real life definition of irony What's that? is talking about, uh, you know, imagining arson or fire, but never actually doing it. Yep. And then passing a brush fire later the same day. <laughs> I know. I I'm know. Like, I don't know if it was such a great idea to post that, but whatever. <laughs> no one listens that, to the show anyway. That's right. You know what? It was the next day, uh, Saturday or Sunday, maybe somebody commented on it. Somebody I know that lives around here asking where it was. So I told them, and I'm like, oh, that's actually bad because I literally was talking about <laughs> how bad I wanted to do that. <laughs> the one thing I have in my defense is that I've got GoPro footage from 20 minutes before I got there, like uncut until I come up to, no, probably 25 minutes worth of footage and the, yeah, like I don't, I don't think I could have started it, gotten 25 minutes away, come back 25 minutes because, so I go, I go past that, I go about... 10 minutes further, dropped packages off, came straight back out. And so it was probably 20 minutes since I'd been there and the whole thing was put out, the entire thing. So that, it was like a big woof. And even looking at, no, I drove past it yesterday. Uh, it's not that big of an area that burnt. It was just very exciting for a moment. They didn't have a firefighters out there. I think it ha I think maybe it happened because uh, he was cultivating. He set something on fire, but. Yeah, I know. I was like, I'm going to keep this GoPro footage just in case. <laughs> that's funny. But that's pretty cool, hey? Yeah. And you know, the weird thing is I couldn't smell it until about a mile down the road. And it was really weird because the smoke was going straight up. It wasn't windy. Like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be disgusting to drive through. I'm like, I literally, right beside it, the air smelled fresh. But yeah, it was kind of neat. It, uh, it, the video doesn't do it justice. It like, it's, it felt like an apocalyptic moment for like two seconds when I was right beside it. And then the smoke was blocking the sun. And then I saw the flames. Yeah. People haven't seen that is a, a grass fire. I drove by on my motorbike right after last week saying, I'd love to be an arsonist. <laughs> it was about four hours after that. <laughs> I'll be careful what we say on this podcast, Todd, you know? Nah. <laughs> I mean, nah. Because even if somebody's heard something, looked into it, they know that we're just relatively boring and we don't do anything like that. So. That's right. That's right. 
Ja, dat weet ik. Ja, zo. Ik guess slightly unrelated topic. We're doing. Uh, well, only went out hunting once so far. This was last. It was on Monday. But I think tomorrow the boys and I are going out again. Because uh, my two oldest, they have. They did their hunter education course. They've got, you know, their wildlife certificate and bow permit. They've got mule deer tags. And so we've got three mule deer we can get this year. And that'd be a decent amount of meat in the fridge, in the freezer. So I'm hoping we can bag some of those and the nice thing too is my parents we we hunt at my parents place and they're gone right now they're uh they just hiked Machu Picchu that was on my mom's bucket list and she thought oh, her legs aren't getting any better so she may as well do it while she actually can but um yeah they're gone for another couple of weeks so it's kind of nice because then the deer are always like in the yard and stuff but tomorrow morning bright and early going out we'll be there for sun sunrise 30 minutes before sunrise illegal and then hopefully take something and the Tuesday morning, Monday morning or Tuesday morning, I had seven uh, deer in my front yard uh, right outside the gate, uh, three does, uh, and then four, like this year's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one has two but she only had one baby as far as I know, as far as I can tell the other mother's dead and she, you know, adopted the, hmm. <clears throat> cause she's now the head of that little group of does. Hmm. She's the, she's the head doe. Yeah. And it's amazing too. Cause she's a lot more, uh, bossy than the yep. one who's dead used to hmm. be. That's why she survives. Because <laughs> them kids start getting out of the her little comfort zone of distance. Yeah. And she will go bite their neck. Oh, really? That's nipple. funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, deer are amazing behavioral studies. They really are. Yeah. Um, not the bucks, because they do two things. You know, that's all they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but, you know, the the female dynamic in a group of doe, uh, deer just interesting. Yeah. And white tail are a little bit different than muley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the more, uh, I think the least interesting are probably elk. Cause I don't think elk are all that smart in, in yeah. the deer intelligence column. Yeah. Caribou are reindeer are, for the most part, there are some behaviors in reindeer that don't make any sense. Yeah. Like they eat like goats. They'll eat anything. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to talk about like caribou. <clears throat> if you're hunting often, like their curiosity, you can get them. So if you see a, a herd of caribou standing there and if you just stand up, they'll just keep walking past you. But they, if you stand up and kind of hunch over a little bit, walk around, like do a small circle and then go back down again. And they don't see you. They'll keep looking be like, wait a minute, I thought I saw something. Either it'll be like a predator they can run away from or it's another one of them. And the fact that the, the hope that's another one of them will draw them in. This is actually, I'm just listening to the Meat Eater podcast yesterday. They were talking about this stuff, but it's really fascinating. They say same thing when you're hunting antelope. Um, the antelope, it is the only, it has uh, no other species of its kind on earth. Like the 
pronghorned antelope. It's not related to deer. It's not related to goats. You know how you have the species, the genome, the what blah, 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 blah. It's an entirely unique thing. And um, interesting, they're the only animal on earth that has horns that shed every year, right? Because they're not antlers. They're actually horned. Um, but they say the same thing when you're hunting them. Like they, part of their makeup n- has nothing to do with hiding because <laughs> they don't hide. They don't, they don't live in tree areas. They live on the plains. It's flat. And they can run, right? Like their predators are coyotes and they can get away from them fairly quickly. They say, if you're hunting antelope and they're like a long ways away, you want to bring them in, you take a white flag or like a lot of guys have those white game bags and just kind of wave it up in the air a few times and then bring it back down. And it looks like the side of an antelope because it's white and they'll think it's another antelope. And again, because they really don't care about how visible they are, they're like, well, let's go see if it's one of us. And they'll come right, they say, they'll just start moving in on you. And they say, so that's a lot of tactic guys use is that they'll wave a flag and then bring the flag down. They can't just keep waving it because then it won't look natural, but they'll see it like 500 yards and they're like, what the heck is that? Let's go check it out. And they'll come right into to a decent range, even for bow hunting range. That's funny. But it's interesting looking at, at critters like that, you know, like deer are skittish, white tail are more skittish than muleys, you know, and that's what, that's why they got their, their it, interesting that they can flag the other deer with their tail, Right. Like that's like an alert symbol when their their white tail goes up. It's yep. it's so fascinating. Yeah, they're interesting critters and they taste good too. Uh, especially antelope. I've never had antelope. Well, pronghorn antelope is the uh, um. Is it good? Mm, hey, mm, mm, mm. I've heard that. I've heard that's really good. But I've also heard caribou can be good eating. I mean, really good. That's a, a caribou and a reindeer are both on my bucket list, but hmm. yeah, I, I've never had, I I've had, you go to these restaurants in Banff that have, uh, just game, like their, their whole when menu, menus, wild game. And so caribou, um, elk and all this stuff. It's pretty good. I've had a lot of exotics that are from around here, but. Well, should we call it a show right there? Absolutely. It's a pretty like good it's one. Time for, um, you know, you got to go. Yeah, I got to do, I got to run a bunch of stuff in, get some keys for a building for a cadet meeting tomorrow, and yada, yada. Re register our mailbox for cadets, and I just got all this running around to do. But, uh, well, thanks, Todd. This was great. And to anybody listening, thanks for listening. Pretty sure we haven't offended anybody today. We we're pretty pretty low key, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. We're saving up. Yeah, just relax and head on into the weekend and enjoy life. Right on, folks. Well, we'll catch you in the next one. Yep. Uh, don't be sure to. What do they say? Rate, comment, and subscribe. Uh, all the things. Yep. Yeah. Do all those things that those um, media outlets want you to do. And we'll talk to you next week.